It is about that time for Ready, Set, Real Estate. I am beyond stoked, and you hear you hear me say this all this all the time because I've got wonderful people that come onto this show, bringing a plethora of information. And here's really what's nice about this: we've got from newbies to veterans, all diversity in all aspects of this industry where people are coming to share so we can connect, build and grow together. I, you hear me say this all the time, connect, build and share. Power is knowledge, right? Knowledge is power, but application is wisdom. And today, <laughs> this is exactly what we're going to do. And so I'm really excited to introduce to you Storm Bradford, founder of Mortgage Fraud Examiners. He is considered a leading authority in foreclosure offense and defense strategies. He created Mortgage Fraud Examiners out of the litigation support company to help homeowners and their lawyers to eliminate, listen to that, eliminate their foreclosure problems while also exposing the scams and scammers that rip off homeowners with useless foreclosure rescue schemes and arguments. This is next level, you guys. This is one of those advanced shows. And I'm really excited because in connecting with Storm, he's going to really break this down for us. And he comes with decades of knowledge. And he's a well-known civil criminal litigation consultant and considered a leading authority in annulling indictments and founded a litigation support company decades ago to help attorneys win cases. And that's lawpartneroncall.com. And we're gonna learn more about that, what he does. And today we're bringing it back to basics. Storm, welcome to the show. How are you? Lisa, I am fine. Thanks for having me on. And I need to commend you and your listeners need to know that you put the show together at the last minute with elegance and professionalism. And if I was in California and I needed a real estate agent, it's not even a decision. I'm coming at you. That's awesome. <laughs> I see why you're super agent. Uh-oh. There it is. You heard it from him. <laughs> oh, Storm, I am really, really excited to have you on as we were sharing on offline you guys you know i like to connect and build with my my guests just to kind of get us warmed up before we come online and storm was just you know i use the words um our keywords and hashtags here on the show storm is hashtag real estate gems and i said to them you are going to bring it and this is so needed and you're right you know super agent this whole concept of super agent really is to empower and represent our prosumers uh, who are out here and have no concept. And it's it's it was my attempt storm at rebranding myself so that people can distinguish who is really their advocate, who's there for them. And so this is just another avenue. And I'm so excited to say you are now an extension of us, of the show, of the work that we do. And uh, People, we're going to pull up, you know, he'll, I'm sure he'll have a number. We do have a website for you that you can learn more. But please make sure you share, tag, you come by, listen to the replay. We want to shout out our supporters that are listening to us on the radio podcast. Yes, we are available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Anchor, Stitcher, Breaker. I mean, everywhere. So make sure you check us out on Ready, Set, Real Estate. Uh, we want to shout out and say, hi, Deborah. Hi, LaTanya. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited as people start to load up and listen to us. But if you can't catch us on the live today, again, do, view, do review us on the replay. Storm, tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, how this all got started. <laughs> They call it Chocolate City. So uh, I grew up, uh, uh, I was called a blue eyed soul brother. <laughs> uh, 
green with polka dots, you know, you know, we all love one another and that's how I grew up and that's how I like to treat people. Right. But uh, about 40 years ago, um, uh, I created a litigation support company to, uh, you know, to help other attorneys instead of practicing myself was to help other attorneys uh, win cases. Uh, to so we could be a research group, and our group could research, and then take that research and the understandings that we were having that a lot of lawyers can't do on their own. We've already done it, so they can come to us, and then we can show them how to win cases. Mm. Uh, that's how it, the litigation uh, support side. We had one of the first business projects in the country where we get wrongfully convicted people out of jail, and then it kind of. You know, the lawyers started coming and saying, well, wait a minute, if you can get them out once they got them, you must know how to keep them from going in in the first place. Yeah, we do. Right. So I got involved in a lot of that. Uh, and then about, uh, and most of it was on the criminal defense side. And then we, the same attorneys would come back and say, wait a minute, you know, have a civil stuff. Well, we got involved in cases. We were brought in on a case to sue Dole Pineapple, where we got our client eighteen million. Wow! Uh, wrongful death cases, where we got clients millions. Legal malpractice cases. Uh, I got a guy out of jail who went to jail for uh, allegedly molesting his kids. He was a lawyer too, mm. and for allegedly molesting his kids, and that was the atom bomb for a disgruntled wife who, you know, unfortunately got cheated on his wife. She says, well, I'll get him back. She accused him of molesting the children. Um, it, was, it was a sham trial. He ended up going to prison. I got him out. And then he came to this firm that I was training in, in the criminal defense. And uh, we got him $5 million out of his law firm uh, that, uh, that represented him on and then about 12 years ago, we started getting a bunch of phone calls. How do you win foreclosure cases? We said, well, there's only one way you can win. It's a contract. You have to attack that contract. And so that's how we got started in that. And then just in the last year, we started another company, Mortgage Note Portfolio Examiners, where we examine just notes mm. for these funds and hedge funds who buy these notes from the major players like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Last year, for example, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac sold $18 with a B in non-performing notes. That's people not paying their mortgage. Mm. And so they come to us and have us analyze the note. The homeowners, we analyze their contract. And that's what wins. Because what everybody fails to understand is, is that a foreclosure is nothing more than a breach of contract case. The contract that we all signed is very clear. We promised the bank that we would make timely payments. And if we didn't, they can take the hat. Period. Right. Just like if they financed a car and didn't make timely payments, what would happen? They'd come by with a tow truck. They throw our car away. Why? Language is the same. If I don't make time to payments, you can take the collateral that it's the car. So, in the law, we're the bad guy because we breached the contract. So, the only way a party who has breached the contract can overcome that breach is to be able to show that there's nothing wrong with the contract. And that's what we do. As a firm, we analyze that contract looking for these things that are in these contracts that, that, that can be used against the other side. Now, the, just to give you an idea, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, their bank examiners went out and analyzed a couple hundred or so mortgage transactions. They found that 83% of the mortgage transactions had problems. And 76% of the appraisals were bad. Wow. Wow. So I'm bad at math, but <laughs> add that together, that's over 100%. Matter of fact, we've never.
never analyzed a mortgage transaction ever that we didn't find something that a homeowner could use. Woo. Now, obviously, you can't make things up. Right. But what, so whatever happened in your transaction happened, but there's been people, there's been dozens of multi-million dollar awards to homeowners. There's been dozens and dozens of free title to property and every conceivable settlement offer you can think of well over 95% of the time. Wow. So, second for a second. There's been, since that big recession back in the housing uh, blow up, there's been 10 million foreclosures. Mm. If you the statistics from the FDIC, that means almost 100% of those people would still be in their homes if they'd attack the contract. Right. But the problem is, there's so many scams out there. You have these securitization auditors that the federal, a federal judge in Georgia said they're charlatans and their paperwork is empty in Securitization audit nonsense. Then you have other scammers saying that the bank never lent you money, uh, other crazy stuff. There's all kinds of stall arguments like produce the note, MERS, securitization, robo-signing, didn't get to the trusted time, standing assignment. Nothing but stall tactics. Nobody has ever won a case ever making one of those arguments. They've stalled foreclosures. They've never won one. So the only thing that wins is attacking that contract. So at the end of the day, you know, uh, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, we're the only firm in the country that does what we do. Fortunately, at least we do it. Unfortunately, we can't do everybody's. We can only do who the people that come to us. Right. And even at that rate, we only take on so many new clients a month. Sure. But at the end of the day, that's what people have to do. They have to look at it where they are and say, okay, all right, I'm going on the premise that I've reached the contract. I have to overcome that breach and find something wrong with that train, uh, contract. And it's always there because at the end of the day, and this is why most states are non-judicial states. Mm. They're non-judicial because the legislatures looked at it and said, look, there's no need to get the courts involved. This is a confessed judgment. The homeowner said, take the house if I don't make payments. Even in a judicial state, the bank comes in and says, Mr. Jones, uh, your honor, here's the contract between Mr. Jones and ourselves. Let me draw your attention to the clause in the contract where Mr. Jones agreed that if he failed to make timely payments, that we could take the house. Your honor, here's the proof he didn't make timely payments. Now, the judge turns to Mr. Jones and says, Mr. Jones, what say you? Oh, but your honor, my loan was securitized. Yeah, how'd that cost you to miss payments? Oh, but your honor, you don't understand. It was robo-side. How did that cause you to miss payments? We're here because you miss payments. Those arguments fail every time. Right. Right, exactly, because it's they're stating that, you know, they're going to the point that we're here because you missed payments. And so just so that I can reiterate for our listening audience <laughs> recap, because that was a lot of information on the contract and you're saying attack the contract. So go back to it and you're saying your team is finding where somewhere in the contract, there's, there's an oopsie is what I'm, I, that's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> that's a nice way of saying someone, someone messed up. Yes. And it could be any number of players depending upon the factual scenario of your case. Mm -hmm. the, could be the person who sold you the house mm. could be unfortunately, the real estate agent, right. could be the mortgage broker, could be the bank could be the title company, could be the appraiser, could be your own lawyer that you hired that scammed you by making one of these stall arguments. So, but at the end of the day, it's the contract itself and that's what you need to attack. And if you do, you're always going to be in a, in, in a power position. You're not attempting to get a loan modification. 
that's a synonym for begging. And they don't like to give loan modifications anyway. So at the end of the day, I was going to I was going to ask Storm, I was going to ask you, thank you for that, for bringing up uh, loan mods, because I was going to ask you to cover that. I read that you were saying that at least on your site is what I was reading. I was researching on the loan modification. And as we are in a shifting environment and there's two things happening, right? Our real estate market is, is shifting. We, we do see things are sitting on the market longer. We see rising, we are in a rising interest rate environment. And we also do know that those who have and hold the 10 year adjustable rate mortgages still do have those. And we are now in that window to where they are now due to adjust. And they are because I personally am seeing it. I'm, I'm helping people try to negotiate it. So I'm learning, you know, from here, I, you might, you may end up picking up a couple clients uh, from me because I think this is absolute paramount when we're talking about people who are in these, bad contracts. I, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, I can't say bad loans anymore because you are showing me here that it's not just, it's not just on the loan side. It's just overall the transaction that there could have been some breaches and some errors and some fraudulent um, verbiage in there that would create an out for a borrower. So, We've identified about a hundred things that could be wrong with a mortgage transaction. That's, uh, that's four, scary. Gosh, it's not, it's, we're getting, we're in the month of Halloween. I guess I, I can take this right now, but geez, like this is what I do storm for a living. And that's, this is, this is heavy over a hundred potential issues with wow. a transaction. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Here's the thing, and this is what I try to explain to people. Uh, let's say you have it, and, and, and other people have it. it, it there's a term it's called unconscious consciousness. You know inherently that there's a problem, but it's not in your conscious mind. But when somebody tells you, it's like when I tell people that a foreclosure is a breach of contract case, the light bulb goes off. They're like, oh my God. Right. Uh, I went down and I gave a talk in Florida about four or five years ago to a hundred so-called foreclosure defense attorneys. Mm. Came from all over the country. And I elicited from those so-called foreclosure defense attorneys that they were charging clients upwards of $40,000 to help them with their uh, foreclosure. Mm. Then... And these hundred so-called foreclosure defense attorneys had had over a hundred thousand clients. Question, Storm, regarding the charge. Okay, so someone's already in a foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, because they haven't made payments. Where are the attorneys getting? Like, where are they? Who are they billing for this forty grand? Like, where is that money coming from? If a client doesn't already have money to pay the note. And there's this so-called hundred foreclosure defense attorneys that I spoke with that had these thousands and thousands of clients that not one of them did ever want a case mind you either. So, <laughs> of course um, not. <laughs> they, um, but what they do is, is they'll say, okay, give me $2,500 up front and $1,000 a month. Mm. And then the longer they stall, the more money they make. But the, it's that road to perdition, if you will. It's the, right. you know, the old, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intention. Mm. So is the road to foreclosure. Right. And so what they do is they hit you up for $1,000 a month. Some of them say, well, give me whatever your mortgage payment is. There's all kinds of different ways these guys do it. And, and so in a judicial session, it takes a minimum of three years from the time the homeowner misses their first payment until they get booted out of the house if they do nothing. Because it has to wind its way through the court system and there's hundreds of thousands of cases. 
in a judicial state, it's not, it's not as bad because all they need to do is run some ads in the paper and your house is gone. But in a judicial state, again, it's three years and you do nothing. So here's a guy making $36,000 plus his $2,500 up front, and then they go to court and their house is gone. Or in Florida, for example, they have a very strict statute, very strict court rules that the bank has to have the note in their possession and when they file the complaint, file it with the, uh, with the complaint in the contract. Well, some of these lawyers that these banks hired got lazy. The note was in, uh, uh, in transit, wasn't quite get there yet. They filed the complaint anyway. And they get in the just say, excuse me, bank, you didn't follow the statute. You didn't follow the rules. And, and, and here's the bank lawyer jumping down. Your Honor, here's the note right here. We have the note. We have the note. Hey, sorry. That's not what the statute says. That's not what the rules say. I'm dismissing the case. Mm. Well, before the ink is even dry on his order, they're down in the clerk's office refiling the foreclosure because they got the note now. Right. Then it comes back up. Now what's your argument? You don't have one. Because they're not attacking the contract. That's the problem. And this is what everybody misses. But you have all these gurus that are right there. There's some uh, guy, he's uh, he's probably the master scammer. His name's Neil Garfield. This guy out of Florida. He, he's got... Uh, He's got a, a website called Living Lies. Good name for it. Mm. Uh, everything he posts is absolutely BS. The guy tells you, he says, we win all these cases. Every case he's ever been involved with, he's lost. He has lawyers that, quote, get it. Every one of his lawyers have lost. Uh, dozens have been sanctioned by the courts for making these stupid arguments. Wow. Uh, we even had to contact us that this guy represented, took $35,000 from him, and got laughed out of court. And then he the had judges were going to pay $127,000 in legal fees. So that's the other bad thing about stalling. The only time stalling is any good is if you have no money, no job, no place to go, at least you got a roof over your head. You need to stall. <laughs> Otherwise than that, it's not a good thing because there's four places in every contract where every borrower agreed that they would pay the bank's legal fees. The banks, as a rule, never charge for the legal fees, but about a year ago, I was on another national radio program, and I said, look, these banks are getting fed up with this stuff. All these stupid court cases being filed, all these scam scams out there, these people pro se things that they're filing, these, they're going to start asking for legal fees. Almost every case that comes down now, the banks are asking for legal fees. So what happens? You end up losing your house, depending upon the state, you lose your house, it could be a deficiency judgment as well. Now you got a judgment for legal fees as well. Wow. Because they took the wrong approach. All of this stuff that you see out there is nothing but fool's gold. You have to attack that contract. If anybody's telling you every any different, they're lying to you and they're trying to scam you out of your money. You know, you put you painted that picture and you put it in a per perspective of really what I was hearing. And I, I was getting emails when we were going through that whole bust. And all of a sudden, all these companies popped up and they did exactly what you were talking about. Everyone was hey, you know, pay us a deposit and then, you know, for a monthly charge, we will help you. And you are so right, right. They were doing that. And there was like a whole pyramid or type of MLM type of thing that people you referred over, you got paid off of that. Oh, it was yeah. a big mess. I do remember that. Lisa, let me give you a little background on that as well. When the housing market crashed, you had all these mortgage brokers out there they got no way of making money now. So what did they all start doing? They all started doing loan modifications. 2007, 2008, they were charging as much as $10,000 for a loan modification. Mm. Okay? Wow. And 
the honest ones, the honest ones would take your money. The banks were doing no loan modifications of any consequence whatsoever. They would take your hardship letter, take your financial statement, and and fax it to the bank. That's all they did for ten thousand dollars. The dishonest ones, they take your ten thousand dollars and do nothing. And just call you back and tell you, yeah, the bank said they're not going to do the loan mod. So what ended up happening was the uh, homeowners started complaining to the attorneys general around the country, and they passed a law that you couldn't take an upfront fee to do a loan modification. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The right. broker's like, this ain't going to work. We need to do something else now. Right. I remember that. That birthed, that birthed forensic loan audits. Well, these forensic loan audits are a scam. What they did is they went out and bought a piece of software for $50 that recalculated the finance charges, and that's all it did. So, and half of them didn't know what a finance charge was and wasn't, so <laughs> they were just absolutely useless. Matter of fact, we had, our first press release we did was on loan modifications being a scam. Then we did a press release on these forensic loan audits being a scam. And when Jerry Brown was your attorney general, he had a press conference and read from our press release about forensic loan audits being scams. Wow. And the Federal Trade Commission said they were scams and everything else. Then these brokers were like, well, hell, this isn't working. So then they all, uh, that gave birth to securitization audits. Well, a securitization audit is basically... uh, you don't know who owns your note, and these people that are foreclosing on you, you don't know if they own your note or not, and you pay us this money, and uh, you know we'll tell you who owns your note. Doesn't matter who owns your note. Matter of fact, they don't even have to, to foreclose. They don't need the note. Somebody can hold it, can be an agent of the holder. They don't have to have the note. If the note got destroyed, they don't need that. They don't need any of this stuff, because at the end of the day, you owe the money, now, the question is, who do you owe it to? So, you go to court, you'll find out who you owe it to. Matter of fact, we will, one of our press releases, I said, look, this is nothing but a stall tactic because if people really care who owned their note, they could do what's known as an interpleader action, and that is to go to court and say, Your Honor, I read all this stuff on the Internet, I read this stuff, I don't know who owns the note. I don't trust anything. So I want to make my payments into the court. Mm. Let these people let these people fight over it. <laughs> you, didn't see, you didn't see any homeowners do that because it wasn't they didn't care who owned the note. They're just trying to stall something. Wow. At the end of the day, it's all just a bunch of nonsense. And and we tell people, look, you wanna know who owns your note? Give us a call. We'll tell you how to find out for free. Because by federal law, your servicer has to tell you who owns the note. Right. Absolutely. So it's just another scam. And then, you know, it it just proliferates. I'm waiting to see what the next thing is now because most knowledgeable people now know these securitization audits are scams as well. So, Mm. um, and we do our best to expose this stuff, and that's why we created our uh, our radio show, Fraudsters Radio, you know, to educate the public, to let the public know of the different types of scams that are out there. But this is really simple stuff because, you know, prior to 2000 and, and, and the blow up in the in the uh, in the housing market, prior to that, homeowners inherently knew, borrowers inherently knew that when they couldn't make their payments. They knew they had breached the contract. Right. So what they would do is they call the bank and say, hey, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to leave the keys in the mailbox? Do you want me to bring them down to the bank? How do you want me to do this? I just can't make the payments anymore because they inherently knew that they breached it. But what happened to get all this stuff started, Deutsche Bank, German Bank in Ohio went in in front of this judge and how it would normally happen the bank would come in and they call out and they'd say, uh, Deutsche Bank versus Jones. Mr. Jones, you in the courtroom? No answer. Judgment on the affidavit. Deutsche Bank versus Smith. Mr. Smith, you in the courtroom? No answer. Judgment on the affidavit. 
because these people didn't show up. They didn't they show up. Right. They didn't so show up. They didn't bring all the they didn't bring all the different paperwork and everything that was in the file. They would just come in because they knew nobody would show up. But this one day they came in and this Judge Boyko, he called them out and said, Hey, wait a minute. By under Ohio law, you don't have the paperwork here that's necessary to foreclose. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to dismiss these cases. And if you want to foreclose on these people, you better come back with the proper paperwork because there ain't going to be a second dismissal. Mm. It's the next one's going to be done. So what happened? That hit the front page of every newspaper in the country, and that's what got things started. Unfortunately, about a week later, Deutsche Bank came back and foreclosed on all of them. Mm. That never hit the paper because it wasn't sensational. Mm. So then you had people saying, okay, well, let's look and see if this bank has, quote, standing to sue, whether they actually own the note and all this other kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the, the bank is going to foreclose and or their agent is going to foreclose because you agreed in the contract that the bank or their asset needs or asset needs agents can foreclose. So that's why it doesn't work. But attacking that contract does, if people like yourself, a real estate agent who's involved in contracts, they know this. They understand this. They knew how the market was going. I've, I've gone and given seminars around the country, and I hate to have people stand up in the middle of it. Mortgage brokers stand up and say, sort of, yeah. Hey, we had W-2 forms up in the ceiling where we pull them down and create W-2 forms. Oh, my All goodness. That, um, you know, brokers, and they can't do it anymore, but brokers had appraisers on their, quote, approved appraiser list. They call up Joe, the appraiser. Hey, Joe, I need for you to come back with $400,000 on this house so I can get this loan done. He goes out, comes back, says it's not worth $400,000. It's only worth two ninety. Hey, Joe, need I remind you that you're on our approved appraisal list, which you won't be any longer unless you give me that $400,000. Well, Joe, the appraiser, wanted to keep a roof over his head. He wanted to make sure, you know, uh, shoes on his kids. He says, hey, nobody's going to find out. I'm just going to say it's worth $400,000. Well, what happened? The poor homeowner... When you get a loan, you're buying money. They went out and bought something that wasn't worth. That wasn't worth. It was reported to be. Right. So, and this is one of the other things that we find quite often. Uh, just like uh, the FDIC found 76% of the time. In some states, we see appraisal fraud as much as 90% of the time. And I, I that, that for me, I can... I can see that in so many ways, especially as I was studying uh, real estate contract law as one of my CE um, for my license. And one of the things that I read on appraisals and appraiser, it was like very clear, very bold that this is an opinion. <laughs> this is an opinion. And I mean, when I learned the history of appraisals prior to what it is today, it's really amazing that it's not something where um, where it's regulated, right? In per se. Well, that's, well, it is regulated. They have what's known as use cap guidelines that they have to follow. Yeah, now, now, right? Prior to, I, I was referencing prior to with um, not having such a national representation and organization and the certification involved to the extent it's involved in now. And so, as you're saying, it's just made it harder now. But these guys, there were, I mean, they had to follow the use path guidelines back then, but they weren't doing it. And mm. that's where you nail, and that's where you get it. you got to remember, everybody thinks it was the economy that brought the housing market down. No, it wasn't. It was the housing market that brought the economy down because they were over-appraising these houses. I know, I looked at a piece of property on the eastern shore, and they wanted $175,000 for it. Six years, excuse me, that was 2001. Five years later, in 2006, they wanted 575 dollars for it. 
And my wife said to me, she goes, how did this thing go up this much? I said, they're just creating these appraisals, just pulling them out of thin air. Mm. So that's what happened. And then when they started foreclosing on houses, the values started dropping more and more and more and more. And so that's why you had, there's certain neighborhoods that I know of in the United States where the housing market, uh, you know, dropped precipitously. I've got, uh, my house appraised for $900,000 in, in 2007, and it still hasn't got back up. It's only worth about six fifty today. Mm, right. But it fell that much because of the different, uh, you know, foreclosures and such. But that's the kind of stuff that was going on. And real estate agents, a lot of real estate agents knew it. The, the mortgage brokers knew it. The title companies knew it. Uh, lots of times they uh, worked in conjunction with one another to falsify documents and get these loans done. Because unfortunately, you have an industry where nobody gets paid unless there's a loan. The seller doesn't sell the house. The real estate agent doesn't make a commission. The mortgage broker doesn't make a commission. The bank doesn't get interest on the money. The title company doesn't do the closing or sell title insurance. You know, all of these people want to get paid. So when you got people that want to get paid, they'll fudge things to get paid. Mm. And that's what happened. That's why there's so many problems with these mortgage transactions. Mm. And that's why the FDIC did what they did, sent their bank, bank examiners out, and found these uh, numbers that basically we found the same thing, only a little worse. Wow. Wow. This is, uh, this is heavy stuff as as I really process this. And this is why I think, you know, Storm, this is why bringing you on was important for me. Uh, my first entrepreneur venture in real estate uh, was at age 18, I became a notary public. And uh, here, at least in the state, and I think for most transactions, uh, we can't close a deal without a notary witnessing signatures. One of the things that I witnessed and I actually would refuse signing a uh, loan docs is when I had a borrower who was absolutely nervous, um, shaking hands, had tons of questions, didn't feel sound and confident. And, you know, as a representative of the court, you know, we have rules that the, the, the signer has to be cognizant. They don't feel like there's, there's no coercion involved that they are, they're aware of what they're signing. And oftentimes uh, I would refuse completing the loan doc signing. And I would say, you need to call your loan officer. You need to call the realtor. You need to call the escrow officer for them to clarify so that you are comfortable in moving forward. And so that was my first experience. And this is where I think just out of my heart for service, education, community, uh, because I've seen people really just nervous, uh, very, you know, you can tell that it's beyond nervous. It's there's fear, like you're signing all these documents and you still see that to this day. And, and so there's a lot of trust that someone is putting on other people when they are signing these contracts. Like you, you stood up. A lot of people didn't stand up. People would go into these closings. There's a stack of papers that have to be signed. Well, nobody went through that paperwork with them. There's these little sticky things stuck at, stuck at the side to sign here, sign here. They just flipped to the next page. They, signed, flipped they didn't even read it. They didn't even know what was going on. We find a, we find a ton of broker fraud where they were falsifying these loan applications. Mm. Uh, you, you, you tell the broker that you made, uh, you know, $6,000 a month. Well, what they would do is they take your loan application, they shop it to a couple of the banks that they deal with. Banks would come back and say, look, we can't do this loan. Well, why not? Your guy doesn't make enough money. Well, how much would he have had to have made in order to do the loan? Well, he would have had to make $7,500 a month. So what they would do is they couldn't go back to those uh, banks they picked something else of the hundred banks they were doing. Now they put on the loan application. The guy was making seventy five hundred bucks. So they go to the next one. 
they give him the loan. They gave him the loan they shouldn't have given him. Now mm-hmm. they go to closing, the poor guy closing, he never sees seventy five hundred on the loan app because he just signed where it said a little sticky thing was and off they go. So here they are a year or two down the road, they're trying to get a loan live because they can't make payments. And you know, it's just they're mortgage poor, everything's going bad for them. Next thing they know they're in foreclosure. And they end up losing the house. They never knew that they never should have been given that loan. Mm. Um, you know, they were fraudulently induced into the loan by appraisal fraud. Uh, you know, one of the other things that was happening was, well, go ahead and take it at this interest rate, and, and we'll go ahead and refinance you out in six months. Well, that day never came. So right. there was just problem after problem after problem. Right. And, um, you know, homeowners really uh, badly didn't take the time uh, to say, stop. I want to explain this to me or I ain't signing anything. That brings that. I was going to say that's a great segue into um, my book that I have, Real Estate 100 Years. awesome having you on the show and I did notice we we had I had some blips but it's all good we have had an amazing run at delving into mortgage fraud contract breaches appraisal fraud and for those of you who are listening don't let this dissuade you from wanting to invest if you so choose but one of the things that I'm an advocate of of is asking the questions. I mean, I have a seven-year-old son, Storm, who always asks why and what for. And so I feel like it's a great reminder for us not to lose those that innate curiosity to ask the questions and ask the questions of the professionals, because so they say they are, right? <laughs> to- well, you know what we do? You know what we do, Lisa? I tell everybody, you know, we don't, I don't charge to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to educate people. And I tell people that if I tip you something, you can take it to the pay window because I'm going to back it up. I'm going to show you what the courts have said, how the courts have said these arguments are nonsense. And I'm going to show you where the courts have said that attacking the contract is what works. So, you know, if, if you're... If you're talking to somebody, you need, like you said, you need to ask the hard questions. You have to have that curiosity, like that seven-year-old of yours does, to ask the question, well, stop, show me, show me. How many, like these lawyers, I tell people, you go to a lawyer, first question out of your mouth is, have you ever done a foreclosure case before? The guy says, no, grab your purse, grab the door. (laughs) Next guy. You go in. You ever done a foreclosure case before? Yeah. You ever won one? Well, no. Grab your purse and go out the door. If you're talking to one of these scammers that do these audits, just say, look, show me where somebody has used this and has been successful. And don't take some summary judgment motion that got uh, uh, overruled and then ended up going to trial and losing their health. They'll give you all kinds of malarkey. It doesn't work. Uh, you guys have a company out there in California, certified forensic loan auditors. Uh, we had a guy on our radio show that um, he went to them, bought their uh, audit, went to court, and in his own words on our radio show said, I literally got laughed at a court. Mm. He, called, he called us. It was two weeks or three weeks they were coming to throw him out of his house. He called us told us what had happened, we analyzed this transaction, it saved his house. So, what I tell people all the time, we don't save houses, 
we do, we all we do is analyze that transaction. If you get multi millions, it's nothing that we did. That's what happened in your transaction. Mm. So I we don't save anything. If, 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 and my analogy is, is if you thought that you had a, a problem, a medical problem, and you went and got an MRI and a CAT scan, and that MRI and CAT scan showed that you had the very beginning stage, not too uh, far from us, Quicken Loans was ordered to pay Ms. Brown $3.6 million, and that didn't include the 700000 she got in the settlement against her appraiser for overappraising her home. Mm. So, you know, when people tell me wow. that these stupid arguments, all this robo-signing and other nonsense that nobody's ever won, ever, and, and then you have results where people get millions and free title and settlements every day, it's, uh, it's ludicrous. Wow. 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 I missed that one on the Quicken Loans. I've got to go back and do the research. I got to check that out. Check that uh, settlement out. Because um, I, yeah, there are just so many of them, uh, you know, and ugh, I can go on and on, but I'm glad that we're on today and we're sharing just a snippet of this world. Like I said, we go, we're going undercover of what's really happening in uh, these real estate transactions. And it really takes uh, hard integrity, uh, some real mor moral ethics. And uh, one of my things is I like to sleep at night and, uh, you know, golden rules, right? Do good and, you know, do good, treat people like you want to be treated and so forth. We do know the ugly side of it. And so this is why I said my whole revamping of my concept and my brand as super Asian is to really be an advocate for people so they can recognize someone who's out here to support them in this avenue of of their lives because this is what we do for a living you know between you and i and everyone else who's in the industry but for your you know average homeowner it's one or two houses a year if that and it's it's a very big deal and a very large investment and i'll tell you lisa a lot of people don't, don't realize this these banks well we find this all the time they were charging black folk higher interest rates than they were white folk with the same credit rating. Oh, we know that. We definitely, that's definitely has come out in the open many times over. Hundreds of times we found this. Mm. And right off the bat, you show that and the banks, how much money do you want, where do you want us to stack it? Uh, it's, we we sit there. We show we we show these people in the contract. We do the analysis. It, 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 you know, there's an old adage. I teach young lawyers. I teach old lawyers. It's not what you can allege. It's what you can prove. So you go in and allege a million things. Unless you can prove it, then you're going to get thrown out on your ear if you're in a judicial state. But. That's what we do. Our analysis gives you the proof that you need because in every one of these contracts, there's a clause that says that if the borrower finds anything wrong with this contract, they have to give the bank an opportunity to take, quote, corrective action. Well, the only corrective action the bank can take is to compensate them. That same clause of the contract calls for what they identify as a grievance letter. Where you would, where you put in that grievance letter the problems with that transaction, and what we do is we give everyone a template with that, along with the analysis. They take what we identified in the transaction analysis, plug that into the grievance letter. The grievance letter goes off to the bank. If you're in a non-judicial state, goes to the trustee as well, and then we give you all the state and federal entities to CC a copy to. Because now you got the government climbing up their butts. And trust me when I tell you, the, just, the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department takes a dim view when they find that, you know, this individual got charged a higher interest rate than a white person in that area. They take a very dim view on that, and they're basically climbing up that bank's behind. You better fix this, or we're going to fix it. You're not going to like our fix. Right. Oh, man. 
And, and we've seen that. And you know what? Here's the sad truth. We still see that today. You know, we're here in the 21st century and we're talking about things that even though there's the Equal Housing Act, there's the Fair, uh, the Fair Lending Act and all these acts that have been put into play since 1954, it's just here we are still seeing that people are being targeted, they're being taken advantage of. And again, this brings us back to why we do what we do. Storm, thank you again. I just really appreciate having you on. Any last remarks? Um, for those who of you who are uh, listening to us and stuck around, thank you so much. You can connect with Storm Bradford, founder of Mortgage Fraud Examiners. His website is mortgagefraudexaminers.com. Storm, anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, it's just uh, be like your seven-year-old son. Ask the questions. Ask the hard questions. Get the answers to the questions before you sign anything. And make and that way, you're going to be in a lot better shape because it's, it's preventative. You're doing something up front. Before, because sometimes, like what's happened to 10 million people who have been foreclosed on, uh, they end up being foreclosed on because they didn't know what was in their contract. Mm. Mm. Wow. Get with the right team, you guys. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Storm, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and God bless you and all your listeners. Oh, thank you so much. Same to you. All right, you guys, that concludes our episode of Ready, Set, Real Estate. Thank you for joining in. Be sure to catch the replay on all radio platform everywhere, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Real Estate.